0: You know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s where it was around the traditional masculinity. It was to be tough, to suck it up, to move on, don't show emotion, because if you did, that, that's a sign of weakness.
1: Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, Forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts. And you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media at Brian Moylet and at Offfield Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it. Leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. And also, you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Hey, hope you're keeping well. Today, I'm chatting with Simon Rennie, who is a therapist for men and host of the Mindful Men podcast, which I was on last year. Cheers for jumping on, Simon.
0: Brian, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to to be talking again. It has been a minute since we last spoke and I really enjoyed our time last time on the Mindful Men podcast. So I'm happy to be here with you. Cheers. So why did
1: you become a therapist?
0: (laughs) It's a long story, so I'll try to condense it as much as possible. But essentially, so I work specifically with men as a men's therapist. And the reason I chose this line of work was for my own mental health story. And so mine's one of living with mental illness for over 30 years and for 20 years it was undiagnosed so we're talking obsessive compulsive disorder depression and anxiety Um, and coming out of high school for example I always wanted to kind of work in the mental health space but back in the late 90s we didn't really have words for mental health didn't know how to get into the mental health field so chose a safe career one that was going to put me in an office job somewhere and and I did that for 15 years but it didn't it just never lit me up and so in 2017 decided for a career change and so uh, that's where i discovered social work when did did a master's degree in social work and then 2022 um started a private practice working specifically with men for mental health and disability reasons um and and absolutely love it i'm finally living this dream of helping people in the mental health space and a lot of it is driven by essentially my story
1: and so a bit about your story then so grow just growing up and kind of throughout your life you had that ocd depression anxiety and just living with that
0: yeah absolutely so it started around eight years old so before eight years old mum would always say i was this happy go lucky kid nothing could phase me really excitable really laughing all the time smiling all the time but There was a moment in my school life where another student said to me, Simon, if you stop using your voice for more than a minute, you're going to lose your voice forever. And so what this triggered in me was an obsessive thought, so this is the O in OCD, that I just couldn't get rid of. It just cycled through constantly until I performed what's called a compulsive act or a compulsion or a behavior. So this is the C in OCD. And so I would start humming to myself all day. Every day I'd do like these little minute hums, like mm, 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 just checking that my voice was still there. And and so this lasted for about two years. And then over time, I think around the age of 13 or so, mum and dad separated. And, and me and my little brother went with my mum to live with her. And all of a sudden I felt like I became the man of the house. And so I had this huge weight of internal expectation there was never any external expectation from my mum but I felt like I need to keep everybody safe and so my OCD morphed into obsess obsessions around safety and security you always worry that someone was going to break in the house and and murder us or, or kidnap us or steal our things and also if certain things weren't turned off in the house that the house might catch on fire and so I would spend three to four hours each night locking up the house for example so I'd, I'd trudge around and, and do a cycle check every single door window curtain was drawn in a certain way and I would do this in in the dark nobody knew I was doing this um in fact well nobody's ever said that they knew I was doing this and I would check things like the irons off the stoves off in case they caught on fire and often I'd get to bed and my brain would say Simon did you really check that that iron was off or did you really check the front door and and so off I'd go again I couldn't say no I have checked it it's okay I actually had to physically get out of bed and go do the whole routine again so it wasn't just checking that door or that iron it was absolutely everything and this is why it took three to four hours and then this kind of evolved into other aspects of my life like going to school so have I've got my wallet and my keys in my bag so you I would often put them in the front pocket of my bag Walk five meters to school, then my brain would say, Simon, have you got your wallet and your keys? Um, and then so that would check, you know, that would cause me to check as well. So I would take off the bag, check again. And in the process of checking constantly, particularly this type of um, part of my OCD, my brain would then say, Simon, because you checked, did the wallet and the keys fall out of your bag? And so I'd be constantly taking it off and on. And, the, uh, you know, And this lasts until today as well, this particular one. And then as I got into uni and and then my career, it would turn into my phone because I didn't have phones back in the 90s. So my phone, you know, have I got my laptop? Have I got my books for the day? Absolutely. Have I got everything I need? Because if I didn't have everything I needed... I would either have to go back home and get it It cause a huge disservice, or I'd be worried that someone would have a go at me. Like maybe it's my teacher or maybe it's a work colleague or whatever saying I'm unprepared for something. Or if they got my wallet, if someone had found my wallet and keys, they would actually have a measure to get into my house again. So it it would return back to this obsessive thought I had around safety and security in the house, because then they'd have my address and then they'd have a means to get into the house as well and so this was really driving me as well evolved into the car like is my handbrake on because I'd have an obsessive thought that the car would roll down a hill and just absolutely annihilate you know somebody walking across the street or smash into a building or whatever and so I struggled with these thoughts and these behaviors for 20 years I didn't have the means to talk about it didn't know how to talk about it and so I suffered in silence and then in in my teens I found alcohol and and alcohol was a way to help slow the thoughts and 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 numb the pain and and all that type of stuff and so I used that for a long time to try and just feel normal you know if I've had a rough week well initially it was for partying and that was all fun but eventually it was just turning into a coping strategy and and so I would turn to that every week and then every other day and, and it was just a way to slow everything down and it's not until my probably mid to late 30s that I started to really reflect on my alcohol use and go why am I really drinking? Am I drinking because I enjoy having a drink or am I drinking because I'm stressed and, and my OCD is ramping up particularly or my anxiety's ramping up and I just need to feel calm again and I think for a long time after I reflect back on that you know alcohol is a depressant. And maybe that's why I was so depressed for a, long, a lot of that period as well. Um, but it was 2012. And, and when I finally got help, I, I finally had a, a, my own personal light bulb moment where basically my wife said that the way I was living wasn't the, the the person that she met and she fell in love with and and I needed to go and talk to somebody. And, and it was around 2012 that I started to hear this concept of mental health and, and going to get help for mental health. And it was one of the hardest things to do was to ring the doctor's office and book an appointment, but then actually go and, and, and sit down in in a room and say for the very first time, I think I have a mental health issue. Um, And that was, yeah, 2012, which started me on a journey of self-discovery and healing and so forth. And then, yeah, when I went back to study, I kind of knew what mental health was now. And I'm like, okay, well, I've got all this lived experience. Let's put some learned experience together and then eventually help other people, particularly guys who are going through something similar to what I've gone through to, to ask for help earlier. And, and I think that's really important because so many, you know, for me to, to do it for 20 years undiagnosed, but then also another, it was probably another in my thirties where my late thirties where I actually finally opened up to the world and took my mask off and said, this is Simon, this is who I am. This is my most authentic self, which was really a relieving and felt like the weight had come off my shoulders um so if i can help other guys do that earlier then i'd be i think that's a really cool thing to do as well i kind of want to be as a therapist the guy that i never had growing up to go to like i had a father i had brothers and and other other, other males in my life but nobody ever talked about mental health it was one of those taboo topics
1: yeah thanks thanks for sharing all that and It's interesting when you were talking about the OCD there, I just thought back about times of, I don't know, 10, 14 years ago where I myself would be checking things two, three times, nothing to the extent that you are. And I've had my own uh, struggles or whatever, but, but just, and I remember bringing awareness to that and being like, Brian, you've checked that twice. And like, and then I didn't have any language, but I remember just being like, I need to relax, you know? And, and I think, and I've lived with people who they, they have, they do things, checking things 10 times and it's kind of laughed about and they do it and and they, we know they do it and they know they do it and they know it's not normal, but it's, and yeah, I think that that's probably far more prevalent or that kind of OCD, maybe like kind of low level, will say than people may think about, and it's not nothing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's it's this obsessive. It's there's well the obsessive nature of the thoughts. You can't get rid of them unless you do the checking behaviors, and it has to be like you say ten times. For me, it was I had to do it in certain numbers: three, five, ten, twenty, 20 and, and like if I didn't do it perfectly through that period, like I'd have to start again and get to that perfect 10 or the perfect 20 and so forth. And, and it's funny because I was recently having a discussion with a counsellor and he was saying, what about what was it like growing up with your parents? And because and, I used to play football as well, Aussie Rules footy. And I, I never really thought about it. No, no, None of my therapists have talked about it until like re- very recently. And I said, well, on the footy field, I had to be this perfect player I had to be the the guy who didn't mess around at training and didn't mess around at the games. And if I played well, you know, that was a pout in the back. But if I didn't play well, I'd know about it, particularly from my dad or or whatever. And the same happened at school. If I didn't at least get a B's B's in my classes, then serious questions would be asked from my parents. And I think that kind of fed this this perfectionism or this le- this this having a higher bar of, of, of perfectionism and, and performance needs i think fueled the ocd as well i had to do these these obsessive you know had to had the had to do the compulsive acts perfectly to get the pass mark to allow myself to move on from them so that's why I would do it in fo- yeah, in these numbers. I used to call them clean numbers or neat numbers because three, five, they they just seemed neat and clean. And and but if you don't do it, like it's it the the obsessive thoughts get faster and faster, and you become more anxious. I mean, OCD is an anxiety condition, and and then to, and then it gets to a point where you can't focus on anything else but doing the compulsive acts as well. And there's there's another element to it as well. Is like you don't have to be seen to be doing something either sometimes a lot of it's what's called a pure ocd or pure o where the the obsession obsessions are in your mind but then also the compulsions are in your mind as well so this looks like ruminating and often as i've gotten older and and become a bit more socially introverted as well i'd go to things like you know after after work functions where it might be at the pub or, or at a restaurant or something have a few drinks and then as soon as I get home, my obsessive thoughts would start circling going, did I say something wrong? Did I make, you know, make a fool of myself? Am I going to be in trouble when I walk walk in the door on Monday morning? And so that was the obsessive thought, but then the compulsive act would be me replaying the night over and over and over in my head, trying to make sure that I didn't say anything wrong or I didn't do anything silly. And that would happen to the point where, my memory of the night would become so distorted i didn't know what was real and what was my mind telling me was what was real as well and so it's just another layer of complexity for someone with ocd and and i and we often hear people say oh yeah i'm a little bit ocd or everyone's a little bit ocd but to be to be actually classified as having ocd you need to have the obsessive thought have the compulsive behaviors but also it's time as well so you have to be doing this for over an hour of each day, and it has to have a profound impact on your life as well. And so it is, it is quite quirky, and, and it's different for everybody. For some people, for like for me, it's a lot of safety and security, but there's other versions of OCD. So some people have religious obsessions and compulsions. Other people like um, might have ones around harm OCD, so there's constant fear of harming other people. Others have them around germs. And this is, I think, this is the most common one where people think OCD people are just clean freaks. It's essentially, the, it's, it's more of the obsessive thought that if you touch something or somebody else touches something, they're going to die, essentially, or they're going to create another world pandemic or something like that. It's such a huge obsessive, obsessive thought where the compulsions could be obsessive cleaning to the point where the skin's peeling off your hands, for example, if you're washing your hands or... I've heard of some stories where people just lock themselves in their room because they think the rest of the world is contaminated. And so they are quite quirky and unique. And, and often I laugh at my OCD because when I when I think back to when it first started and the humming, if if only as an eight-year-old I knew of this concept around silent retreats or how monks go and they take a vow of silence, but then one day they start talking again. If only I had known this about about the world then maybe I wouldn't have checked my voice so much and maybe it would have never have evolved into what it did. But at eight years old, I really thought that what that kid said in the schoolyard was was the honest truth. And so it led me down this path of trying to outthink a condition that thrives on thinking and didn't have the words. and And I just wish I had got help a lot earlier because once you get the right help as well, <clears throat> it becomes a lot more manageable, and and you're not doing it for as many hours of the day, and you can you can you can start questioning it, you can start targeting it, and going, you know, Simon, you've checked it three times, you don't need to check it anymore, you're safe, you're secure, you're okay, um, but for a long time it was me just trying to outthink it for myself, and then turning to alcohol was a way to cope. And
1: it's interesting, I was chatting to a woman recently who has two or three kids and she was telling me oh every morning i make their beds i clean the front room i make the breakfast i have to have the remotes a certain way on the couch i have to have the cushions a certain way and just start going through this and she was like laughing and like or kind of like smiling i was kind of sitting there like "Oh, oh my word you know like Like, uh, like, I can't laugh. (laughs) at Like I was like, and she was explaining this. and, And I was like, oh, that's like, that's, that's OCD. And what is a tool to help or how do, how does one deal with OCD?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't discover this until I had essentially, so 2020, I burnt out from in my old career I was working full-time, studying my master's degree. We had a, a little one he was one at the time, and I think COVID came around as well, and then so we're working from home. And I, I burnt out, and I ended up having to take five months off of work. And through the burnout recovery process, I, I felt like this need to finally take off my mask and share my story with the world. And it started with the workplace, because I know there'd been other experiences of burnout in my workplace, and I wanted to share my story as a way to, to maybe bring light to what burnout actually is because I never known what it was before I, I'd burned out. And during that process, I created Mindful Men. So the, the platform that I now have and I, and I started as an Instagram page where I just share these little daily motivations and maybe some small insights into, into different mental health conditions. And through there, through connecting with different people, I discovered a whole OCD community that, that I never knew existed And this is the thing about OCD, it's called the silent condition because it takes on average between, I think, 13 to 15 years from first symptom to first treatment. And for me, it was more like 35 years. But through this OCD community, which I never knew existed, they were talking about this thing called ERP or exposure response prevention. Which has been the gold standard for OCD treatment. I've never heard of this concept. I've been to uni and I'd done all the therapies over the last ten years or eleven years, but i never heard of this thing called ERP. Because every time I went to the, the the therapists or you know psychs, counselors, social workers, whoever it was, they would always try to treat my depression. They would never try to treat the anxiety, and they'd never ever mention the OCD. Even though I was diagnosed, they'd never talked, they never touched on it, and so. I looked up a bit about what ERP was, and I actually found a clinician here on the Sunshine Coast where I live who specializes in ERP. And so off I went. And what I learned is exposure response prevention falls under the umbrella of cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's a CBT modality. But unlike CBT, which targets the thoughts, what what ERP does targets the behaviors. So we're allowing the thoughts to come into the mind but what we're doing is challenging the the compulsive behaviors because it's the behaviors that reinforce the thoughts. So for me checking the house 10 times before I go to bed is reinforcing the thoughts that I'm unsafe or that the doors are unlocked, which in reality aren't. And so if we can target the the behaviors, we can lessen the intensity and we can take control back over the brain. And so for an example, we did with the with the handbrake, you know, thing with my car that handbrake has to be on as hard as possible every single day. And I have to be parked on, on flat surfaces. So I'll I'll never have a house. And I keep saying this to my wife, I'll never buy a house where the driveway is on a hill. It's just, it's just too much for my OCD to to handle. But we did this with, I did this with the psychologist. We went out into the car park and we took off the handbrake and I closed the door and we walked away only 10 meters and the, the trick in this or the tool in this particular situation was not for me to look back at the car and go back and put the handbrake on. I had to stand with my back against the car or back away from the car and count to 10. And what we did is was this really cool tr- uh, tool that I use now in my therapy practices. We went through what's called an anxiety arc. And so what we did was we counted to 10 and we we noticed the anxiety rising in my in my body and my mind up until a point where it peaks and it's not going higher anymore and then it comes down the other side. And as slowly, you know, like over the 10 seconds, I could feel like it's okay, the car's not going to roll away and cause mass chaos. And so that was a, that was the first entry into ERP is, is learning that I can sit with that anxiety and go through it for a period of time and eventually all anxiety calms down. And so then when it turned into the house and me going around the house and checking things, it was, it was me vo- vocalizing, saying, Simon, you've already checked this. You don't need to check it again. This is your OCD trying to trick you. And then also changing the routines as well. So instead of doing, you know, door one, two, three, four, five, maybe I would start at five, four, three, two, one. Or maybe I mix it, go from one to three, then to two, then four and five, and so just mix up the routine. And and so that what that does, is it starts telling the brain like, oh, hang on a second, the brain's not in charge. It's this person called Simon, who actually is attached to the brains in charge, and he can dictate which ones he's going to do and when. And then on on nights where I was feeling good, maybe I could cut out one of the checking one of the one of the doors. Maybe I don't need to check number three, so it's one two. Four, or five, and so by doing this repetitively, and I guess this is the nature of OCD. Everything is repetition. It, it starts to rewire the brain, or, or or tell the brain that we're in control. And I found this very useful to with my you know bedtime routine. Now um, it's a lot more manageable. I don't have to really get out of bed so many times to go check again. It might be a couple of times, as opposed to five or ten times. Um, I'm not checking my bag as frequently when I go out for work, you know, I just hope that my wallet and my phone's there, but you know, I'm pretty confident it is. So a lot of it's naming it and then reprogramming the brain to just sit through that anxiety. And I think that's where mindfulness has also helped me as a, as a practitioner, um, both through my own journey, but also the, the work that I do with other guys is, you know, it's allowing the thoughts to come in and and just noticing them and then letting them go as well. So that forms a big part of it as well. But ERP has been certainly something that's really been beneficial. And it's a little bit different as well. Like I think there's even a version I tried where it was virtual reality. So we'd put a virtual reality headset on and there would be these different scenes um, where I'd have to go through and name the things that are making me anxious as well. That one didn't really work for me only because I grew up playing video games. So it just felt like I was in this really cool video game, but I can see how it could help other people as well.
1: Hey, Brian here. I work one on one with rugby players, helping them perform better on the field, enjoy it more and maximize their careers. If you feel like there's more in you and don't want to have regrets down the line, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation. And the link is in the show notes. On the call, you talk to me about where you're at now, what you would like to achieve, and I'll show you how I can help you get there. You then go off and decide if you want to invest in yourself and move forward with the one-on-one coaching. For teams, I do mental skills sessions over Zoom. Players will have mindset shifts on the call but also they'll get exercises to practice going forward. So it's like an s program, but for your mental strength. If you're a coach or manager of a team, you can book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation now as well on offfieldrugby.com. If you have any other questions, you can get in touch with me through my social media at Brian Moylet at Offfield Rugby or the website offfieldrugby.com. All right cheers we'll get back into today's episode interesting yeah the the bringing awareness to things is huge isn't it and that like you there with the car like you bring awareness to your anxiety and you sit with that anxiety and you sit through it and when what i'm finding more and more recently and i think one doesn't need to have mental health issues to to understand this or to benefit from this because i think it's dr gabor mate uh, expert who says we're all addicted and we are like it mightn't be gambling or alcohol or drugs or whatever but we when we feel a certain way we do something and we have those kind of responses and like i say it's about building habits and routines and what you're the habits and routines that you're building are to check it less and less you know so it's so you're sitting with that those uncomfortable feelings and the process is to be checking less and less and i think we all want to i think it's inherently within humans that we want to be better we want to grow in any area of our life in some area that we want to be better and to do that you have to build new routines and that's difficult. And to do that, to build those new routines, you have to sit with uncomfortable feelings. And yeah, like you say, mindfulness, something I started learning about about four or five years ago, is incredible. And it's something I've only learned about in the last couple of months, about sitting with those uncomfortable feelings. And it could be, for me, it like just changing these really small things that I just want to change you know just little things like oh, I want to I don't want to be doing that or I want to be doing this and um yeah it's it's powerful and something else that I've learned and I started going to a therapist here about eight ten weeks ago in Christchurch and that's where I started to understand this kind of sitting with those feelings Um and something that she said was when you sit with that uncomfortable feeling and a good one actually is phones everyone's addicted to their phones and I'm using my phone literally 20% as much as I used to that was one thing I was like I don't want to be sitting here scrolling because it makes me feel shit and I'm wasting my time and she, was, she explained that when you sit with that uncomfortable feeling it feels awful but if you can get through it it goes and it goes forever then
0: yeah absolutely it's it's that building the internal brain muscle essentially and 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 saying that we're in control we don't have to we don't have to feed the anxiety and and that's what we do we're often feeding the anxiety or we're suppressing it a lot of work that i do with guys is around you know their use of alcohol and drugs to suppress the feelings that they're feeling and and once we once we we accept the emotions into our our body it's it's such a healing process but i think the first part is even acknowledging and particularly for guys is that we have emotions in the first place and that we're we're allowed to feel some of the ones that for so many of us for so long have been told no we can't feel those feelings like I grew up in the 80s and 90s where it was around the traditional masculinity it was to be tough to suck it up to move on don't show emotion because if you did that that's a sign of weakness and for so many guys they've bottled that up and they don't want anyone to see it but once they start accepting it and going you know what I am feeling sad or I am feeling lonely or I'm feeling depressed or whatever and then that that kind of generates the what I call like the light bulb moment inside where they go, you know what, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And and for so many guys who come into therapy and they and they start prioritizing their well-being, they start to unpack some of this stuff that they've been holding on for so long. And and then they all feel better. And and I had the same, you know, feelings. Every time I go to a therapist, I just feel better when I've I've gone in and spoken about what's been bogging me down for the last, you know, 2 weeks or 2 months or 2 years or whatever it is. It's only recently that I opened up to a therapist about something that I had suppressed for the better part of 35 years that I I'd even forgotten about, but it was something that came up for me recently that I needed to talk about and it just felt good getting it off my chest. And so I think it's it's that it's the acknowledgement that something's going on inside that we need to address and and address it now instead of keep bottling it up with, you know, different addictions or harm or, or you know, divorce rates, all those types of things feed into it as well. Um, I think if we can get more guys and aspire more guys to, to, to come on this journey, I think they will all benefit from it immensely.
1: Yeah, because it's so much, life is so much more enjoyable when you do versus when you're, drinking like you say using all these vices and that's just it's just not enjoyable
0: yeah absolutely i mean for so long and that's what you know we have so many guys you know i think it was it was are you okay day in australia recently and are you okay days a day for everyone to to check in with their mates and ask the question are you okay and the reason that they do that is to try and lessen the the number of deaths by suicide every day in australia it's seven it's nine deaths by suicide every day which is and seven of those are male and i think around the world the worldwide data is a bit hard but it's around 75 percent of deaths by suicide are male and so i think there's a big issue here that once they've used all the vices and the vices aren't working and maybe their relationships or they've lost their job these things are all breaking down around them unfortunately so many guys are turning towards self-harm and and death as a way just to escape but if we can flip that get that early and we can change the discourse and say that it's okay to talk about mental health it's it's just as normal as going to talk to a physio about your physical health if maybe you hurt your arm or your leg or whatever playing sport or at work the more we can normalize it the more we can encourage guys to go you know what what I was told taught when I was a youngster or what my family have gone through over the last few generations, I don't need to keep continuing that cycle. We can break out of that cycle, get the help that we need and feel better and feel good and, and, and implement new things in our lives that make that fill our cup and, and make us well, but also improve the relationships with ourselves and those around us too.
1: Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think it, it starts yeah like you say it starts with admitting maybe even first to yourself that i can't keep this up or i can't keep trying to pretend that i'm just great and i'm 100 percent infallible and i'm never ever suffer never struggle one percent with anything and you kind of you you acknowledge that and then you realize like i can't couldn't be arsed continuing to put up this facade and it's not to say you gotta shout from the rooftops about things but you just you say it to one person and it goes from there yeah
0: absolutely so in 2012 when I finally got help it was actually a two-year ramp between before that where my wife my now wife had been saying these things Simon you're drinking too much Simon you're doing this Simon you're doing that and for those two years prior to that, it was the first time people had really started to talk in about my mental health. Like no one else talked about my mental health, but my wife was like, Simon, something's not quite right here. But I did the what most guys do and I deflected. I said, no, it's not me, it's you. Or I'll just stop drinking for the next two weeks and I'll do a few more runs around the block. I'll, I'll eat a bit healthier. I'll do all those little Band-Aid things. And I did that for two years. But eventually the ultimatum came. She says, Simon, I can't do this anymore you either got to go get help or you're out. And that that was my light bulb moment. I did not want that to happen. I didn't want this relationship to break down. And that was the thing that prompted me to say, you know what, I can't keep doing this. I have to change something. And if that means me going and getting uncomfortable with a doctor and then a, and then a therapist, then that's what I'm going to do. And, and I think one of the other drivers that were keeping me away from the doctor was this fear of going on medication. You know, I've seen my mum grow up with... Taking lots of different medications over the years for different things, and I've I I just never wanted to be that kind of person. But once I I I worked out that a lot of the mental struggles that I was going through is perhaps a chemical imbalance in the brain, but also a lot of you know innate values and beliefs and 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 behaviors that I'd grown up with is that medication just certainly helped balance me out. Um, and so once I got over those fears and I, and I got into it now, you know, 11 years on, like now, I'm, as soon as I'm struggling, I'll, I'll go see my doctor, get a mental health care plan here in Australia and go see a therapist or I might do a medication review. I'm still on the meds and I found, the, I found one that finally works for me. It's been a bit of a journey of about 10 different medications and 10 styles of therapists over the years. Um, but finally found the things that work for me and, and things are looking up and you know we can improve we don't just because we live with a mental health condition it's not a death sentence it's just something that we can work around and I think for me as well knowledge is power and so me going into a doctor and getting these diagnoses I can finally go okay this is what's going on for me this is what's happening now I can start to pull strategies or find people that are experienced in these areas ocd depression anxiety burnout when i burnt out and start to grow from there it's like having a coach when you you know you start playing a sport or something like that they teach you the rules or they teach you how to play and so the same goes for doctors you know medications therapists as well in the mental health space there's a whole network of team you know people that can teach you how to deal with this stuff along the way and and that evolves as you get older as well. That's certainly what I'm doing now as a 40-year-old is different to when I was in my late 20s in my mental health journey. Um, but yeah, it's something that now I just, it's, it's normal for me. And the message that I want to always spruik to guys is that the first conversation is the hardest, but after that, it becomes easier and easier and easier.
1: Mm. And with medication, so... Is it something do you take it all the time, or is it something that like when things aren't going when you feel it needed or
0: yeah it's it's been a journey, so finding the right first firstly finding the right medication for me has been one of the hardest things to do because they all have their different side effects some some they you put a whole bunch of weight on some you struggle with sleep, a lot of them actually, and I'm gonna say this for guys is that you lose sex drive you really do and but for others in, in in other guys that i work with it increases libido as well so it just depends on on what it is for each person and so it's been a bit of a journey and And there was a period where i i was i was feeling well enough to come off my medications and that was for about a period of 12 months but as that 12 months grew longer and longer i i started to notice I was struggling a little bit more. I wasn't as as clear in the mind, and I, and I felt like you know what, I've got to go back on the meds because things aren't quite working at the moment. And so I went back on them. So there's only been a period of twelve months where I've been off them, um, but yeah, day every day I'll take my tablets, and and yeah, it is just part of a normal normal routine for me now. Yeah,
1: because I just I know one or two people who have couple of people maybe that um were prescribed medication and they say like I have depression the way I have two arms and then don't try all the other things that we've spoken about up until now and we could go on forever about all the different things that one can do to feel better around their well-being or whatever but yeah just I think it is a bit of a thing out there where it's like you just get prescribed them and then that's you forevermore and it's like none of the other things like you mentioned go for on this other the band-aid but like the way we live of course has a huge impact like I know personally if I start eating shitty food and I don't work out I'll start to feel not so great and then th- that can then if that continues on that extrapolates so I just don't do it so like now I eat Quite healthy, luck because I just know it, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think that I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? or Do you see that?
0: Yeah, all the time, and so I, I've done it myself. Like, it's only recently that I've I've really put a spotlight on my drinking. For example, I know as a therapist, I know as a you know we see it in the media all the time that drinking is harmful, and particularly if you're taking. Drugs. You're taking medication for depression, for example, but then you're also drinking. It's kind of you're know, crossing each other out, and but for a long time, I, that was my vo- that was my coping strategy. so it's only more recently that I've put the spotlight on that. Going, you know what? I'm going to have a break, um, and I'm having a break at the moment to see if my well being improves, to see if my levels of depression improve as well, and at the moment it's, it's only been about a month since I've stopped drinking and I feel better and I feel more energetic as well. I don't have those, you know, little hangover moments the day after, but for it, for guys and it, it's one of those things, sometimes they're like, yeah, I've just got it and that's, that's it, but they're not going to change anything um, but for the other guys who do change a lot. You know, they, they notice huge things. It's, it's like when you go into a mental health space and, and, I was the same when I first went in, I kind of expected the therapist just to wave a magic wand and say, okay, this is, we're going to do this for a week. And then you don't ever have these issues again. And I never did the homework for a long time for about eight years. I didn't do the homework that I was prescribed by my therapist. And now I do it religiously. Like I do all the things that I need to do. I tried different modalities more recently into breath work over the last couple of years, because I'm discovering different ways of breathing and how that calms anxiety. Um, but it's, it's a mindset thing it's it's one of those things where you've got to be in the mindset to <clears throat> want to change and to to be better but if you don't if you're not in that mindset you'll you'll just stay the same and often staying the same is it's comfortable it's safe it's easier to do like you know it's like the comfort food eating it's going to get KFC after work and and just eating that because it's easier than cooking a nice nutritious meal and so <clears throat> excuse me and and so it's just it's a it's a mindset thing it's how much do you want to change how how well do you want to feel but it's also horses for courses so mindfulness might work for me but it might not work for somebody else it might be increasing exercise or doing <clears throat> meditation or or something else um that really gets them moving forward at a greater pace but it all comes back to mindset
1: yeah 100% i agree fully and yeah 100% and I just think that's where what I'm kind of getting at that some people might fall down and I think it's society-wide not just absolutely not just do mental health but people they live the way they live and then they get sick and then they're like just give me the tablets doctor and Mm. and often it's like you know doctors and it's difficult I suppose the men or the medical system where you go in for 10 minutes or 15 minutes and Doctors probably need more of a more time to evaluate why you're getting sick, but there's a lot of people out there who don't want to hear you need to stop eating processed foods, you need to eat real food, and you need to exercise more. Like they go in to get the tablets to get rid of the symptoms that they're having right now. And yeah, it's yeah, it's a mindset thing for sure. And it's difficult, but it's worth it that's and something just my myself I guess all the day just constantly it's growth mindset like constantly just wanting to be better in different areas and like like that I I stopped drinking pretty much a couple of years ago I would have every couple of months I'll have two beers or three beers um but it just wasn't worth it i just didn't feel good after it. the next day you know even when it's wearing off if i had two and then i get home and it's wearing off and i'm i just remember i went through a period when i got depressed about six years ago that i was drinking very heavily and throughout my life starting about 17 being from ireland it's a culture so like we would just drink heavily on saturdays and everyone did and you just drank till you till you're blacked out pretty much. And I'd say it's similar issue in Australia and it's what I knew, but I just was like, no, this is, I just can't keep doing this.
0: Yeah. It's, it's definitely the same here as well. Like it's kind of like a rites of passage thing for guys when they're 16, 15 to start drinking and, and how drunk can they get? And initially, and for, I think for a long time for me, it was around, I th- I thought thought it was a way that you could have fun and, and I could be myself. And to some extent it was, I could relax when I was drinking, but as I've gotten older and and now I've got kids and they're saying, Oh, daddy, would you like a beer? Or, you know, whatever. It was my 40th, you know, a month ago. And, and, and I was gifted all these different craft beers and, and the old me would go, you know what? Oh, this is awesome. But like the 40 year old me was like, why are so many people giving me beer for my birthday and my wife said it's like well that's kind of like the identity that people know you with it's someone who just loves a beer and and so that i'm like i've got to change this this is not the identity that i want to have and it's the same with my mental health it's you know when i was 28 and went into that doctor's, i didn't want to to be the guy that just struggles through i just want to start getting the help that i needed i needed i had to put my hand up and say i'm drowning here and so as we get older as well, those, those, that mindset changes. It's where we, we shift our priorities. What's, pri- what's a priority for you at the moment compared to like five years ago or five years from now? And, and how do we bridge those gaps as well, make it easier? And, and therapy certainly helps. And, and the more that I read up on things like mindfulness and try different you know, wellness techniques like the breath work I mentioned before, um, yeah, it certainly does evolve and, and help. But we've got to be in that mindset to want to do it as well
1: yeah and it's yeah it's taking the difficult option like and we always get that we always have that throughout every day there's the easy option and there's the difficult one and it's like for me just one thing that i've been working on the last couple of months is not being on my phone as much as i mentioned and this started out with putting it away an hour before bed putting leaving at the first hour of the day and now I leave it the first two, three, four hours, you know, and as much as I can. And, you know, the easy option, difficult option is when in the morning, when you get that moment of boredom or you get that uncomfortable feeling to say no to the phone and to resist it or food, you know, you say, Oh, I'm eating healthy. And, and during the week something happens or yeah. Um and it's just like oh I just want to like say get a Domino's have a KFC or whatever and it's yeah it's, and I just think the more you can you can choose a difficult option is that's that's kind of where it's at because the other the other way is just yeah just constantly taking the easy option is just sitting on the couch watching Netflix eating ice cream all day every day just being being horrifically depressed and just being at rock bottom and because that's where it leads to you know if, if we're being honest you constantly doing that leads to that because all this stuff isn't it's not the easiest thing to do put the phone away go to go to bed at a good time eat good food Um, get sunlight uh, all drink enough water it's it's probably easier in the moment to drink coca-cola you know so all these different things but but it's worth it. And the thing is as well is that it becomes easier. Like we're saying, it becomes a habit. You just do it then. And all of a sudden you've these brilliant habits built up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like, I always look at the, the, the marathon runner. Like they don't just go out on their first run and run a marathon. They got to train at it. They got, they start small. It might've started with a hundred meter run and then 200 and four, 500. And eventually they're running marathons. Or if you're sitting at the bottom of a Mount Everest, you're not going to do it just just on your first try. You've actually got to train and, and prepare your body and your mind as well. And so it's the same with our mental health and and our our well being and our and our habits. Sometimes we've got to do the harder thing to then eventually realize that what we were doing was hard and you know, wellness is actually quite an easy thing to to embrace and get on with um same same with going to see mental health practitioners that's an easy thing to do once you've started doing it or if you're you know, my first breath work for example i went to flight mode i was in the room with 20 other people and i didn't know what to expect and people just started breathing in and out and and it was really loud and intense i'm just like i've got to get out of here but i stayed with it i sat with it i sat through that anxiety and and I and I thought mm, I didn't really feel like I got anything out of it, but I went back again and again and again, and then after the third or fourth time, I actually got some. I felt some benefits from it as well, so I kept at it. I didn't shy away from it, and I'm glad I did because now I quite enjoy doing breath work when I do, you know, get the opportunity. And so, it's trying different things as different things come come up. I think mindfulness is a newish thing for guys. It's more mainstream now. It used to be what you'd attribute to hippies or people that are a bit out there. But now it's quite a normal everyday thing that really does work. And and it's not just meditation. It's not just gratitude work. In the work that I do in my therapy practice, it's also looking at what your personal values are and how can you use your personal values to drive what you do every single day. So if your personal values are around being healthy, how can you use that when in that moment when you're about to reach for the can of Coke and, and and maybe divert that to going for a walk or and grabbing a, a bottle of water on your way as well. So these things can be easy once we start creating these habits and embracing that there's different ways to live. We don't have to keep living the same way that we have been. And I often call this autopilot. A lot of the guys that come into my clinic, I say, all right, we want to disconnect your autopilot and bring you into conscious living because this is what mindfulness is all about. It's about living consciously. And so... It's painful at the start, like learning how to run a marathon or climbing Mount Everest, but eventually with time and practice, it gets easier and
1: easier. 100%. And that's a good way of putting it, plugging out the autopilot and living consciously. And that is very difficult at first, horrendously difficult probably. And because, yeah, it's, you have to undo those things and, and – The thing is then you have to feel the feelings like we said at the start or you have to feel the emotions because when you say no to that can of coke like it's you're going to find it very difficult in your body and most people you mentioned our conscious awareness most people just don't want to feel that feeling so they just keep doing what they're doing but then I think it gets to a point where most people don't want to keep living on autopilot and that's that's actually far more painful. It's actually far more difficult because and because oh, where that leads to is horrendous. You know, it's just awful. You've you know no control over anything. You're just at the whim of all these vices. You just can't. You you have no control. Yeah, it's awful. So while it's difficult switching out of that it's it's worth it and it has to happen
0: yeah and, and it's difficult for some time but like to to you know for the listeners out there thinking oh geez these guys have just talked about mental health the last hour or so and it's really heavy and and i don't know i don't want to engage with that because i don't want these things to come up your pain doesn't it doesn't last forever like it, sometimes it might take you know you might for, for a year, go through your pain and, and then eventually come out brighter. For me, it was longer because I'd probably buried it for longer as well. So I had to process that over an, a longer period. And my mindset was very different. It, my mindset wasn't 100%, you know, going full, full, full hell for leather, like trying to sort myself out. It was a gradual process. And so the pain for me lasted a lot longer. But eventually, that pain turns into purpose. And, and once you've identified, okay, yeah, I've lived like that previously you can use that as fuel and go you know what yeah i live with mental illness but it's not something that holds me down anymore it's something that I, I manage and i and i work with my team whether it's my gp my my partner my therapist you know my pharmacist if i'm if i'm having medication or whatever other self-care activity is it could be surfing could be my uh, breath work whatever it is and, and it becomes manageable and then you can use that as fuel for your purpose. So for me, my my fuel for my business now is is my pain. It's, it's the history of what I've been through. But now I get a lot of energy out of talking about it and helping other guys go through theirs as well and trying to get them onto the other side. And I don't feel weighed down by it. Yes, I do still struggle with it. Yes, there's days and, and months where I I'm maybe more depressed or I'm more anxious than other times. Um, But I know what to do now to get myself out of that as well. For me, it's checking, first of all, self-care. Am I eating right? Am I drinking too much? Am I sleeping right? Am I exercising? They're the core ones. But then bringing my values into it as well. What are my values telling me? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And for a lot for me in the last 12 months is building a business. I've never run a business before, never had a business before. So that's been very stressful. So it's natural for me to have... These periods where I'm freaking out half the time, and I'm stressed, and I'm am I doing the right things? But I think what 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 lights me up is the fact that guys keep booking in and they keep showing up to for sessions, and it's showing me that guys actually do want to talk about stuff. They just need to be provided the right environment in order to do that in a safe way, in a way that's you know has some sort of meaning, has a bit of purpose. And then on the other side, they they know that they can see me in. How I talk about mental health now and go, you know what? It's not a death sentence. It's just a a way of our our lives, and we can talk about mental health and it be an inspiring thing as well at the same time.
1: Yeah, fair play. And I think, I suppose, everyone. I've heard this said before, but everyone has mental health. Where everyone has physical health, and for me personally, like I went through a period of about eighteen months where i was depressed and probably a bit anxious at times throughout that but i've found that then after that coming out of that was just a gradual process of getting to where i am now over the years and and i would say after that my mental health has been quite good but i have an awareness of it that like i said like eating well um Doing what I love doing, coaching rugby, coaching people, players one on one, working with teams, like doing all the things I love doing, sleeping well, working out, all this stuff. Like, it's so, it's like, but I just know that's just what I do or what I got to do. And yeah, I think, I don't know, just you don't need to have gone through anything. Particularly bad or maybe you've gone through it in the past probably everyone's had, had quite rough times but to bring awareness to it and then just what helps you be the best version of you I think that's kind of a pretty simple way for anyone no matter what how you've been or what your history is or you know because I, I don't personally I don't identify myself as someone who has a mental health condition. I see myself as someone who went through a period that was rough. Mm. But I just know that that can happen. You know, I, I know that that's, I remember that and I was like, I don't ever want that to happen again. So yeah, uh, to to keep away from that, I just, yeah, live my life a certain way.
0: Yeah, uh, and I, that's that's exactly right. And and for so many of us, look, you don't even have to have a mental health condition to see a therapist. We see it as they could be more of a just providing coaching through a situation or or different strategies to improve your already level of wellness as well and, and see things from, from a different perspective. Um, but also each of our, as you said, each of our journeys as well are different and they're unique to us. And so for someone, it could be, yeah, they've had a horrific accident and and maybe they've, you know, ended up with a disability. And and that's caused a huge amount of pain. For somebody else, it could be, oh, they're just feeling a bit flat. And maybe it's just drinking too much alcohol, and that's causing that flatness. And and you know, other people could be losing a job or a loved one, or or it could be just the someone who's just plateauing on their on their wellness journey as well. They go, you know what? I've been well for a long time, and I'm just plateauing. Well, maybe not, I need some new strategies or whatever. And so, when people come into this wellness space, it can be for various reasons. And and often what we do is we compare we compare ourselves and our journey with the person next to us. And maybe we've heard of someone else who said, Oh, you know, I took tablets for a month and now I'm fine. I don't need them. Whereas we're like, Oh gee, I've been on it for 10 years. What's wrong with me? And I think if we can stop comparing and just go, you know what, this is my journey. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do and I'm on my own pathway and, and, accepting that and acknowledging that 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 also goes a long way to where we get in the end as well because we we can't all run the same race we have to walk in our own shoes
1: yeah that's so true and i see it behind you there "Comparisons of the thief of joy i love that i love that quote love it and yeah that's a, you, what you mentioned there is plateauing on your wellness journey that's what happened to me. Like ten weeks where I was doing everything. I was meditating, doing the cold showers, eating well, sleeping well, working out, uh, and things were going well. I was better than I've ever been. I was reading all the books. I was always great, but I was just like, "Oh, there's, there's just more here," you know. I'm just, I can't quite, I can't quite, I can't quite understand it, and I just, I'm not sure what it is. And I was just, there's little things that are just, yeah. I was just like, "There's more." So then, that's when I was like, "Oh, here, I'm just gonna." yeah go and see a therapist and that was a it was still quite funny how no one else needed to know but even me taking that first step you know we talk about stigma and all that stuff even within myself there was a stigma and that's yeah it's interesting whereas now i suppose then now there's not but yeah just identifying that within myself was interesting whereas because it's funny, like I work one-on-one with rugby players and I work one-on-one with people. And then the, and I know that it's good for people if they're struggling to, to find someone or even if they're not struggling to find someone. Like most of the, most of the players I work with, they're flying it all the time, but they just they just keep, <coughs> you know, we keep chatting and it's to keep them up and whatever. And so it was just funny noticing that within myself um the bit of resistance i had or thinking it was a big leap and or not a big leap but just yeah just identifying that but it's um yeah it's, it's good
0: yeah absolutely and i think we talked about it when you were on my show is that we we often we grow up with people who are teaching us and coaching us along the way like if it's at school it's the teacher if it's in the sports field it's a coach some of us have are fortunate and have parents who do that as well, and but some of us don't have that. Like I didn't have people, I didn't have parents who, you know, I love them to death, but they weren't that teacher for me. They were just like, you know, just do what you got to do at school, do what you got to do on the footy field, you know, keep out of trouble. Like that was the level of of coaching from them, and so therapists can also be seen as coaches but you don't have to go to therapy in this space you can go to a yoga teacher or, or a breath work you know you can go see a life coach it could just be like doing something different so maybe the activities that you've been doing you're just maybe you're fatiguing with those activities whether it's reading whether it's my you know breath work whether it's meditation or whatever and so more recently i've i've Thought you know what well, I've always wanted to learn how to surf, and I live in one of the most beautiful parts in the world where surfing is part of the culture. But I've always watched from afar, and so in the last six weeks I've been le- doing a mental health learn how to surf program, which has been amazing. And I found when I'm out in the water, and I'm and I'm able to get up and have a bit of fun, but also it's this hugely beneficial mindfulness technique for me because all i'm thinking about is how i'm positioned on the board and what's happening with the next wave and then once i'm up you know what i'm doing on the board so i find it's a really great great grounding technique and so this, this is a new tool for me is discovering this this new tool that really works for me other people might that might not be for them other it could be artwork or we did i did a pottery class recently which was just an amazing way of just zoning in on what you're doing with your hands around building a coffee mug. Um, and so there's different things for different people and it's about maybe when you're plateauing going, okay, I'm doing all these things. Maybe I need to try something completely new and, and different and, and, and try and see if that works. Um, it's the same with your social circles as well. If you're in the same social circles for a long time and maybe they're plateauing as well or maybe they're holding you down, it's, can you do a stock take and go, do I need someone new in my life who's maybe on this same mindfulness or wellness journey with me and we can do it together as a team and create that network of people where we can bounce ideas off or even just go to classes together and and so forth and and that can be that can be crucial in in re-elevating you as well as opposed to you just trying to do it yourself and and going through the motions and, and maybe and maybe brian for that for a little while there you're on autopilot as well and so maybe it's switching that off and going okay what can i do to shake that up and um sometimes for me as well like i love like listening to podcasts and as a podcaster myself and reading and all that but sometimes i just need to stop and and drown the no- and and quiet the noise and just not do anything for a while and just focus on the very bare basics of the walk of going for a walk going for a surf or making sure I'm going to bed early and and not doing too much because often also we can do too much in this space as well. It's like going to the gym, you might, you know, start half an hour at the gym, but then all of a sudden, if you're doing three hour sessions at the gym multiple times a day, it becomes unhealthy as well. And so we can overdo it too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great point there. And we absolutely can overdo it at times. And that yeah you're then I suppose trying to block something out and something that I found yeah like you mentioned maybe earlier in the podcast about feeling your emotions and I am learning that more of the last 10 weeks in that I had I would do all these different things and I was feeling fine and feeling good you know but when I was kind of thinking oh there's more that's that's something that she identified that um, are probably like most men like I wasn't I wasn't drinking I wasn't doing using vices that I had used in the past but yeah by having by you know cold showers and work and being in the gym and just I don't know living that I did which I still do which is still very good I what I was there are times when I would do things to not feel the emotion, you know, and yeah, and and the phone is is um, is probably I think a, one of the biggest, and everyone does it because you some feeling comes up and you go on the phone, you distract yourself, that distraction, so that, or you go on YouTube or you watch Netflix or you scroll endlessly so um yeah that's i think that's like i've heard it explained cigarettes for the mind and it truly is mm. truly 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 is and um yeah that's just something that i kind of was brought awareness to
0: yeah and it's once you, you draw that awareness is that you can make the change like the phone, something for for me as well, I've started leaving my phone. At the end of the day, it used to be sitting next to me while I'm watching TV, and then during the adverts, I'd, I'd pick it up, scroll, put it down. But now I'm like, no, nah, just leaving it in the kitchen. I don't need it near me. And it's just something as simple as that. It can be something as simple as that, like as you said, not turning your phone on for a, for the a first few, few hours of the day or, or changing your routines up in some other sort of way. It, it can be very small, simple things that we can do, but it, it requires awareness so that you need to do it in the first place.
1: Hmm. And another one with um, the phone that I found find brilliant is leaving it at home. Like you know, first up, going for a walk without it, and like you, I like listen to podcasts, I like listen to audiobooks, all that stuff. But simply going for a walk without your phone and doing different things without your phone and now like at times i'll leave my phone at home and i'll go off and do whatever it is and at first that seemed so alien and to many people it would seem alien but like i grew up at a time when there wasn't mobile phones as well and it's like that's just what you did you know i got my first smartphone when i was 18 and and even then you would be like oh i forgot my phone or i know i don't have my phone with me whereas that just concept isn't a thing anymore but i have found that going back to that wow it is a game changer it really is and it's obviously difficult at first but yeah
0: it's it's funny you say that because i i i recently have, have done that a few times around our local area go for a walk without the phone and just, it's amazing when you do that, what else you can tune into. So I find I do this practice called mindfulness on the move in my therapy business. But also I did it when I recovered from burnout. It was how, how can you use your five senses to really ground yourself and be in the moment. And when you don't have your phone, it's so much easier to do that, to tune into what the birds are doing on your walk or what the what the wind's doing or what the how the sun feels on your skin. Or even just saying hello to someone as you walk past them on your walk as well. It's really just being present in the moment. And I think the more we can disconnect from our phones, our TVs. I I saw this great um, thing by Jay Shetty in the the week. And it was around when we become into into a relationship, a long-term relationship, we spend most of our time watching TV together. But if we can turn off the TV and and come back into the present moment, maybe it's with good conversations, it's going out and doing something that's fun as well. We can really improve the relationships with with the people in our lives as well. And as a dad, I'm mindful of that on the weekends and not having the kids have too much TV time, which is interesting because when you become a dad, all of a sudden the things that your parents said suddenly make a lot more sense. So it's like, get off the TV, get off the PlayStation, get off, you know, go outside and all that. And so that's what I'm saying now as a dad as well. And so, and, and when we do that, the whole family just feels better for it. Like yesterday we're down at the beach and, and playing around at the beach and we get home and, you know, have an ice cream on the way home and the whole family is just buzzing and, and feeling great. Whereas if we'd sat inside and watched movies or played on the Switch or whatever, you know, I dare say that we would all, would have all been pretty miserable by lunchtime yesterday. So going out, without the technology is hugely beneficial too.
1: Mm. Well, brilliant. Thanks, Mel, for your time, Simon. A brilliant chatting.
0: Oh, Brian, thanks so much for having me. I love what you're doing as well. Always been an admirer and, and grateful for you know, your time on the my podcast too. If anyone's interested to hear your story and, and, and take this a bit further, episode 69 of the Mindful Men podcast. So, Brian, thanks so much for having me.
1: Cheers. And where else before you go, where else can people find you?
0: yeah so all over most of the social pretty much all the socials so it's mindful.men.aus or just head to the website it's www.mindful-men.com.au
1: brilliant cheers cheers for listening into the pod today if you're new to the pod welcome be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one with players and yes, I help you overcome challenges and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you, you have more to express, you have more to bring and it kind of gets frustrating when yes, you're getting some results. We know you have more inside you. i help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with 101 for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the 101 coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled, and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, on the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing... Lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things—sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review, and subscribing—really, really help the podcast grow. Helps us help more people. So, thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Ourfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet and any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks a mil for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it and I will see you next week. Cheers.